brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Three and a half weeks later, a killer still on the loose. After four University of Idaho students savagely stabbed to death in the middle of the night, with police pressed for answers from a frightened community. Many wondering, is the case going cold as investigators work around the clock to try to provide answers? Good afternoon to you folks. JB here with you live on WFLA Now. Of course, we are talking about the stabbing deaths of four University of Idaho students. We have been talking, of course, about Ethan Chapin, uh, Madison Mogan, Zana Kernodal, and Kaylee Gonzalez. Uh, all, of course, 20 or 21 years old. A tragic story that has been unfolding uh, at the University of o- University of Idaho. And as we cover this story, and you just heard there in our package from News Nation's Brian Enton, and Brian Enton will be joining us in about 20 minutes from now for kind of the latest as where things stand here today, this Wednesday. Uh, you heard him say that investigators are hoping that witnesses come forward with information that witnesses provide something that will be the break in the case. But what if witnesses don't ever provide that break in the case? What if witnesses don't have the information that police are desperately seeking, investigators desperately seeking to provide justice to these four families and to the University of Idaho community? What if evidence is really going to be the key to this case? Well, Great that we have experts from the University of South Florida joining us here live on stream. Professors Peter Massey and Thomas Hyslip joining us, uh, taking time out of their day to join us. And Peter and Thomas have very specific focuses and different focuses, and that's why it's great to have them both here on live stream, on the live stream. Good afternoon to you both, gentlemen. Peter, why don't we begin with you? Explain to your, uh, explain to our audience here your background and what your special focus is when it comes to um, the very, very vast field of forensic sciences. Sure, thank you for having us. Um, my background is I was law enforcement for 20 years. Um, 10 of that was um, processing crime scenes. My educational background is in forensic science. So I kind of mix both the scientific aspect of it as well as the scene aspect of it. Terrific, Thomas, yourself? Yeah, hi, JB. Uh, I spent 23 years with the federal government, uh, split between the Secret Service and the uh, Department of Defense as a, as a special agent. And for 22 of those years, I focused on cybercrime investigation and digital forensics. And that's what I now uh, teach at the University of South Florida. 
I'm sure that both of you have been following this case with with great interest because really uh, folks and and experts in the field of forensic sciences have been following this case um, across the country. You don't have to be in Idaho, of course, to uh, know about the stabbing deaths of the four University of Idaho students. Uh, Let me just give you both the opportunity. I'll throw you both up here on screen uh, to just to speak in general about what you think of the case at this particular stage as we approach now a month with a killer still on the loose. Thomas, why don't we start with you? All right, thanks, JB. Um, I think my impression initially and now is that, and Peter can speak more of this uh, in a moment, uh, the traditional forensics, there may not be the, the smoking gun at the scene, um, and that's why it's taken a while. Um, but the digital forensics will, will hopefully lead to potential clues that, that can lead to a suspect or and hopefully an arrest. Peter, um, you're just, you've been following the case, I'm sure, to an extent. What can you provide as far as what you've been witnessing here from the University of South Florida? Well, two things. One is, obviously, you know, we're, we care about the families. We understand that the trauma that they're going through. Um, but from the forensic side, what we need to understand is it takes time to run these examinations at the laboratory. Um, you know, there are other crimes or other cases that are coming in, so we still have to deal with that as far as the laboratory goes. So in time, we're going to get some answers, but it is going to take some time. I'm very grateful to have you both because, uh, again, going back to what I was just talking about, ideally in a perfect world, a witness comes forward, sees something, a friend, a, a family member, somebody has some key piece of information that breaks the case. But if it doesn't shake out that way, as so many other cases do, if it actually does come down to the evidence, it could be physical evidence, which of course, Peter, you are an expert in as far as crime scene and crime scene reconstruction. Uh, Thomas, you're going to be able to speak to us a little bit about digital evidence. And, and, and in addition, um, that body camera video that I'm going to ask you about here uh, in a minute from the 911 call that came overnight. But I want to bring up some video here. This is video um, from the uh, you're about to see it play here on your screen from the crime labs um, in, in Idaho, the state crime labs. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 113 pieces of evidence have been collected, or I believe more than 113 pieces of evidence now. Um, when it comes to Peter processing a what has been described at, at great length as a very complex and difficult crime scene, you're talking about a three-level 
residents, uh, not just a, a residence that is home to, of course, the people that live there, but as far as Ethan Chapin's uh, relationship, him being the boyfriend, uh, of course, of one of the students as well. And then, of course, it's it's a college residence. You have people coming and going, uh, people coming over either to study or to party, you have a good time to play video games, whatever it might be. You're, a lot of traffic coming in there. So in, in your estimation, how complex of a crime scene do you believe this to be? Oh, this is going to be amazing. Um, the amount of work that needs to be done by the law enforcement community in this case is overwhelming. Um, you have at least three separate crime scenes that need to be processed, if not the vehicles, anything else that came out of there. So it's going to take a long time to finish. The other thing that you mentioned there, JB, was it's a college home. There are people coming and going all the time. When we start to look at biological evidence, the information is, is it foreign or has that person been to that house before? And that's something that the investigators are going to have to filter out. Let me ask you this. You just mentioned a little bit how long it's going to take, Peter, to process this evidence. Um, there's obviously, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but there's an, a tremendous, immense amount of pressure on multiple law enforcement agencies to produce results. There's also something we're going to talk about a little bit later on about how there's been this perceived fracture as far as the trust between law enforcement and the community and the families of the victims here. We'll get into all that in a little bit. But people, uh, I think we live in a world where people want answers sooner rather than later. It's been described by some in the field of forensic sciences as the CSI effect where you watch TV shows and you see how quickly it can all unfold within an hour with commercial breaks. It's not that simple as far as the timeline, of course, you know, but as far as this complicated crime scene and it being that complex, what, it, what could be the time frame here? Are we talking weeks, months, um, years to you know sift through all this evidence and to actually process it and have it organized to the point where you could yield results from it? Well, I, I think realistically, months would be an appropriate time frame, not weeks. Um, if we get into the years, then we're talking about a cold case and we need a lot more information going forward. Um, I'm not so sure we're going to get to that point, um, but it, it is going to take time and people need to understand that law enforcement wants to solve this case yesterday just as well as the community does but they're also responsible for doing it the right way, knowing that ultimately this may end up in a courtroom and the I's have to be dotted, the T's have to be crossed. And, and as you said, JB, you know, the community is much more attuned to all of this type of investigation because of television, media, and the such. Let me let me take the same question over to you, Thomas, because obviously the processing and analyzing of physical evidence versus digital evidence, there's obviously so many different factors at play. But we know that there are probably mountains of digital evidence, most of it probably, I'm sure, circled 
on each one of the victims' phones. And also, too, I'm sure if there's any persons of interest, and we have to be very, very careful with labels because when it comes to suspects, persons of interest, there isn't really anything tangible to go on in this case based on what, of course, investigators are saying. But when it comes to these phones, social media activity, cell phone pings, is it is it realistic as far as expecting results sooner than physical evidence or is that is that incorrect to think that way it's incorrect to think that way jb you can get some quick immediate results on some minor things so if you had the device like a cell phone you can look at the email the text the immediate the social media posts but to look at it in a bigger picture um, it, it's going to take months, the same as uh, what Peter said for the physical evidence. And, and a lot of that comes down to, if you think about the digital footprint, was a term we teach, uh, everything you do online, you're leaving breadcrumbs and, and potential evidence. We have to collect all that and put it together. Well, to collect that, you have to get court orders, subpoenas, search warrants to multiple entities, to the ISPs, to the email providers, to the, um, cell phone providers send them the get the court order send the court order get the return back from the company and then analyze it and they can take weeks to a month to get that data back to you um and so you're waiting on that data to come back the data you don't have immediately on a device and so yeah months is, is a realistic time frame so so similar to waiting on DNA test results it's not just because it's digital and just because technology has advanced so mightily over the last couple of decades it's not instantaneous we could st they could still be going through digital evidence even well beyond Christmas is what you're saying yeah I mean they could be waiting on digital evidence from say an email provider right, right. you have the immediate email on the phone but all the emails not on the phone there could be you know stuff stored in the servers and you have to send a search warrant to that email provider to get that data from them and they can still be waiting to receive that data and not even have it yet and then when they get it it takes time to analyze it and if they're doing that for multiple accounts um from email to, to social media you, you got to ingest all that analyze it do it properly it takes a long time and that's something is something i've always wondered with how high profile of a case this is w without question the most um high profile uh, murder investigation in the country right now if you are a a, a cellular provider with um with with particular data on, on the cell phone and, and ping locations if you have uh forensic data on an email or if you're a social media giant like TikTok or facebook or twitter and you have this information um are, do you, is it do investigators have an ability to expedite the process to get some of that data back faster from some of these private companies that aren't in the public sector like getting back data from let's say TikTok or or Twitter or something to that effect how how can they speed up the process or or, or can they not well you can ask and, and hope that they'll because it's such a whole problem, high profile case that they'll get it to you sooner but you can't make them right i mean the law is clear they respond in their time frame, um, but usually they're pretty good about it. Something this high profile, they're going to turn it around quickly for you. You know, move it to the front of the line. The problem is, you identify one of the suspect's emails. You request that information. You get you get that back, and then you go through those emails. And when you go through those emails, you say you identify six other email addresses of other individuals so wait we got to collect these two because these are unknown or there's some potential clues in there now you got to send six more search warrants to 
their email providers and collect their data. And it just keeps, you know, every step is another time delay. Let me um let me bring everybody back on screen here for a second. You see the hashtags around your screen. We're going to be trying to take as many questions and comments as, as possible on this live stream for them for about another five to ten minutes uh, while we have Peter and while we have Thomas. And we also have Brian Enton, of course, standing by. I'll ask our moderators, of course, on our social media platforms to, again, encourage our hashtag system as far as getting a comment displayed on screen. Um, before we start to go to some of the comments, we have a few on Twitter here coming in as well. Uh, Peter, I want to ask you about one particular note that I find uh, very interesting. Um, no broken windows at the residence. No signs of forced entry or a or busted door. How? What does that inform you as a crime scene expert, a crime scene reconstruction expert, uh, about what transpired the night of November 12th and November 13th? at this residence uh, at, in Idaho? Well, w one thing that comes to mind is, you know, having been to college, we rocked our doors. We didn't leave our doors unlocked. So there was access 24 seven back in the day. Um, I, I, I tend to think that, again, college kids live that way as well. They don't lock things up. Um, and you're in Moscow, Idaho, you're not in some high um, crime ridden location. So I could see the uh, tone being lowered in that regard. Um, on the other side, if that's not the case and nothing was left open, then it obviously is ind indicative of somebody who knew somebody in that house and was freely admitted into that home. We have a question coming in from Brittany on Twitter, and it says, uh, hashtag, uh, hey, JB, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what she means by releasing, but she says, when does law enforcement plan on releasing the crime scene? And, and I, I guess what she means by that right now, there's still, you know, crime scene tape up uh, around the house. It, it is still obviously an extremely important asset as far as the investigation is concerned. Um, but a lot of, of questions, of course, pertaining uh, to the house. What do we say for Brittany's uh, question? Well, I it, look, unfortunately, there's no time when it, the answer is going to be when they're done and when they've checked and double checked and triple checked. Um, you know, you brought up JB, this is a high profile. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Case right now, everybody's eyes are looking on it. So as far as the investigators go, they also have eyes being viewed upon them. So they're going to check 
to make sure that all their evidence is collected. Um, like Thomas said, you know, if you jump down that rabbit hole, maybe they're finding some sort of biological evidence there and they need to go back into the house. As long as they hold that house, the search warrant is good. If they give up the house, they have to go back and get another search warrant to get back into the house for additional evidence. So the short answer is when they're done. Peter, we're looking here at video of, of the vehicles getting towed away recently in the last week. Also, as well as at video that I think you're going to see here in just a moment of brown bags being taken. I think just in the last several days, they're still obviously collecting uh, evidence from from the house. It, does that surprise you three weeks after the, the murders took place or um, or is that kind of status quo for for forensic uh, investigators? Uh, it is surprising that it is this long. Um, but as I said, they're, they're double checking everything. Um, this is such a high profile case right now. Um, you know, we have such young individuals who have been uh, brutally attacked and killed. So again, it's a matter of doing it the right way. Um, and, uh, you know, when they're done, they're done. Yeah, Love is asking here, Love a Scorpio, hashtag KJB, why weren't the cars uh, taken off the property Im immediately? Peter, do you have any, any ideas to, as to why the, the cars were left? I mean, it might not be a primary focus of the investigation, at, at least in the days, the immediate aftermath of the bodies being discovered in the house. But do you have any answer as to why the cars were, it was so late as far as them removing it from the property? Yeah, I think go along with exactly what you said. Um, that's not the primary scene. The primary scenes were inside. So there's really no rush to pull those vehicles out. Um, and, you know, I don't know whether they did some investigating inside before it looks like the snow came. If they did anything at the scene or if everything was towed out and investigated, you know, at a, an impound lot or a secure facility. But um, there's really no rush for that. Let's uh, continue to ask for your questions and comments on, on screen as we have, again, Peter Massey, Tommy, Thomas Heislip uh, joining us from the University of South Florida, uh, forensic experts in, in different ways. Uh, Peter uh, focusing on crime scenes, uh, Thomas focusing on digital forensics and cyber crimes. Um, let me let me ask you guys um, th this question as far as the amount of of pressure that is on investigators at, at this stage. Um Social media, online sleuthing, all a component in how people are analyzing this and in doing so in, in, in real time. How difficult is it for the forensic investigators and really just detectives in general uh, to be able to uh, tunnel vision and, and focus in on just the task at hand while blocking out all the outside noise? And when I say outside noise, I'm not even just talking about people tweeting and people sharing TikTok videos. I'm talking about even... Look, members of the of the victims' families have been very critical in, in not getting more answers from law enforcement. They're not being this open channel of communication. Um, they have spoke in, in interviews with News Nation and some other media outlets saying that they are frustrated with this process and how tight-lipped it has been. So all the pressure, all the noise, all of the criticisms that are taking place and coming in from multiple directions, is it difficult to block out the noise or are you so honed in on the task at hand that you're just focusing on getting justice for these families? Uh, Thomas, why don't we start with you? You can block out the, the noises you say from say, you know, third parties on Twitter, or, but the problem where you get the pressure as an investigator is from your internal agency, the government, 
the district attorney's office, you know, you have elected officials you're reporting to. And eventually, you know, off the chain, um, they're getting a lot of pressure. And then it comes down to you. And they're looking for you to solve this as quick as possible. And, well, you can stay focused and, and work your case that you know the way it needs to be worked. You're well aware that you're, everything you do is being watched and, and, and the pressure is on because your bosses are getting pressure from the political people above them. So it, it, it may, it caught, you know, it's a challenge. Um, you just have to stay the course because the one thing you can't do, and Peter mentioned early, and this is on any investigation, but especially something this high profile, you get pressure and you make a mistake. <clears throat> And then it goes, they catch somebody, it goes to court. Well, what if that person now goes free because of your mistake, because of the, you, you know, fell to that pressure. So that's why you just have to block it out the best you can and, and push forward. But it's not easy. And there is a lot, a lot of pressure, especially in something this high profile. Peter, what do you think? Yeah, no, to tag on to what Thomas said, it, it, the, the, the pressure is coming from above. Um, you know, the agency that you work for, agencies that are involved, you know, are getting pressure from the media, are getting pressure from the family, um, and are getting pressure from those above them to, to solve this case. Um, and again, as Tommy said, we cannot, cannot afford to make a mistake. Um, let me just say one thing about the families. This is a great situation to show the value of a um, victim advocate that person who is the liaison between law enforcement mm -hmm. and the family. Um, we cannot share with the family every bit of information um, for fear that they may go public because of whatever. So, you know, again, we feel for the families, but we also have that job to do. And it's that very fine line between what we can let the families know in what nobody needs to know until we get to that arrest. There's obviously been a, a lot discussed as far as the communication between all of these parties that are that are in, in play here. And I'm talking about I'm talking about, of course, the victims starting with the victims' families, and there and they just wanting justice and really more than than just justice eventually, but but answers to begin with. Of course, then you have just the public. You have detectives and the investigators that are working this case, and then you have reporters like us that are prodding for for questions to, of course, um, you know, make sure that we have something to to report on a, on a daily basis. Um, I, I want to ask you both this question um, as as well, um, Peter. You noted it a, a short time ago, talking about how this is not a, a community, nor is this really a state in general that is used to there being high profile crime. Uh, other states might be it might be different but i can't remember uh, too many mass casualty incidents um, murder mysteries uh, unfolding in the state of idaho it's just not something that is really um something that we that that is you know all that occurs all that often so when we're talking about the resources available and there's been so much made of the state labs in Idaho, so much made of the local police department, the resources, the staffing, what they have to use to actually uh, to pursue justice in this case, the the physical resources and then the manpower. Um, is the is the state? Let me start with this question: Is the state lab in Idaho similar to a state lab across the country? Are all state laboratories, as far as forensics and the technology that they have available? It's not uniform. Not all 50 states have the same state labs. They're obviously all unique and all have, you know, 
different amounts of funding that goes into it. But how different is it? And do you think that that comes into play as a potential challenge? Peter, why don't we start with you? No, look, the Idaho uh, State Police Lab is an accredited lab. So they need all of the qualifications, all of the certifications as any lab in any other state in the country. So they have everything from A to Z at their disposal. The difference is, is they don't have the size, they don't have the throughput that a larger lab in a larger community or a larger state may have. So they reach out to federal partners. What can the FBI do? What can ATF do? What could some of these other federal agencies do to help out? And they are there. The FBI is involved. Other federal agencies are involved in this case. So to the credit of the Moscow police, the um, university police, the state police, everybody, they've reached out to seek that guidance and that help. Thomas, I want to ask you a question that I actually just got direct message to me, um, and it comes from from Ginny, and I want to read this on, on screen, if I if I may, just because I only have a couple more minutes with with both of you gentlemen, and I have to get to Brian Enton, uh, who's going to be joining us here in, in just a moment. Um, question from Ginny Tranter. Do you believe that law enforcement would check the Wi-Fi device history at the crime scene house in Idaho? And she says, I'm not talking about internet search history. Um, she's talking about um, like specific um just, just overall, I think I'm, it's a very long message, and it's very well thought out, and I don't have time to read it in its entirety. But how, how detailed, let me, let me try to sum up the question from Ginny as, how detailed and how granular can they get when it comes to the examination of the Wi-Fi data that came from the house, the internet connection to, to the house specifically? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they pulled the uh, routing table from the Wi-Fi, uh, you know, from the Wi-Fi router. Uh, you can you can show all devices that have connected recently, any that are you know were currently connected at the time, any that may have a uh, you know a static IP reserved for the devices, which can then be tied to their MAC address, which you can then you know figure out who the manufacturer was, where it was sold, that kind of stuff, what kind of device it was in. So I'm sure that was not an initial step because initially they're going to you know, do the uh, traditional forensics um, that Peter specializes in. But as they, you know, they've been on the scene this long, I, I pretty much assure you that, uh, you know, the, the routing table from that router was pulled, the uh, all the information for the uh, other devices that connected by Wi-Fi were, were also uh, collected. And the and following up on that previous point that I'd asked Peter not not to not to cut off that conversation, Thomas. As far as the digital capabilities in Idaho, I would imagine um, that they it, it's similar across the board for for them as far as what acts the information and technology that they have access to as far as proceeding with this investigation digitally. Correct? Yeah, I would imagine. I can't speak for the Moscow police, but the larger departments in in the state. Uh, it, are going to have people trained in this and, and know what to do to collect the digital evidence. And they're also going to rely on federal partners uh, to help. And the FBI being involved too, just makes it even that much more uh, just being able to use them as a resource and anything that they can do to provide um, technology, staffing, manpower, so on and so forth. Correct. Is the FBI's involvement, obviously extraordinarily encouraging also though, in I would imagine frustrating from a public standpoint, because once the FBI gets involved, it's pretty much clamping the door shut on any 
uh, comment to the public and releasing any sort of form of daily updates or, or getting the PIO standing in, in front of reporters and providing a daily press conference or anything like that. But um, the FBI's involvement, certainly a, a good thing as far as um, the technology and manpower that police have and detectives have available to them in this case, correct? Yeah, it's really good. The big thing is the extra manpower, right? They have task forces, they have regional laboratories, they can they can set aside other cases, have them focus on the data from this case. Um, and, you know, as Peter said, the, the big limitation for the, the smaller cities, smaller departments is, is the manpower where you can now pool the resources uh, through the FBI to, to get this stuff processed faster. Folks, I have to, uh, I have to, we have to say farewell to both uh, Professor Massey and Professor Highslip. Uh, before I do, you guys each have 30 seconds to just talk about um, what you're going to be monitoring from, of course, your vantage point from a forensic science standpoint as this investigation unfolds in Idaho. If I go first, um, I'm waiting to see some of the DNA, the biological. Um, sharp, force in sharp force injuries usually lead to the perpetrator getting hurt. I'm waiting for the DNA evidence. Me personally, I'm waiting to see uh, the cell phone tower data, if they can identify a, a different ping from a different person who's normally not in that area with, you know, from the data, it could provide leads uh, to them for them to investigate. Thomas Heisler, Peter Massey, uh, experts in their respective fields and for in the world of forensic sciences. Can't thank you guys enough for joining us here on, on stream. I uh, really appreciate your, your time uh, and your expertise. And a big thank you to the University of South Florida, USF, our neighbors here in, in Tampa Bay, uh, for, of course, um, providing us with a direct link to, to Thomas and Peter and, and them providing um, a little bit of a glimpse as to what might be going on behind the scenes for investigators uh, in Idaho. Peter, Thomas, thank you so much.